He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, welcome. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. There are 267 less Americans in this world today as a result of the July 4th weekend slaughters that take place in our inner cities, mostly black-on-black crime. That should be the headline of every newspaper. That should be the headline of every news story, and yet it's not. Joe Biden going and getting another ice cream, forcing people to take vaccines, on and on and on. How's Dr. Fauci doing? Chuck Todd's very concerned about the criticism uh, Fauci's taking. We'll circle back to all this. We'll circle back to all this. Seven days. Counting the days, counting the hours, seven days until the release of American Marxism. And hopefully we'll be able to get our hands around some of this. This is my, what is it? Eighth book? I think. And the most important. We have, right now, pre-orders, thanks to you, mostly hardcover, overwhelmingly, almost 200,000 pre-orders. It's my ninth book, sorry. Mr. Producer just counted it up. But uh, almost 200,000, and that's thanks to you. And I want to thank you. But there's only a week left. If you want to pre-order, I would pre-order now so the book arrives a week from today, first thing in the morning, on your stoop, at your door. It's almost 40% off on Amazon. You can order it there, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, whatever you're comfortable with online. We've talked about it quite a bit over the last three months. And now we're going to get to do a deep dive, you and me together. It actually begins this Friday night when I will be doing the full one hour, or pretty much the full one hour on the Sean Hannity show on Fox with a one-on-one interview. That's this Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On Sunday, I'll be on Fox and Friends Sunday in the morning. 
On Tuesday, I'll be on Fox and Friends. On Wednesday, I'll be on Martha McCullough's. These are wonderful Fox people and Fox shows. On Wednesday, I'll be on Martha McCullough's show. And uh, and not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, Pete Hegseth will be hosting my show and interviewing me on the book. Martha McCallum. So we haven't even begun the press yet, but we will. We will, because this, you know, I'm sitting here before the show, and I wrote a few notes to myself. Even though I prepared all weekend long, still there are things that bother me, and I need to write them down to talk to you about. What do we know about the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, these two big unions that control hundreds of billions of dollars of our tax money? Almost 80% of most school districts' budget goes towards teachers. What do we know about this union? What do we know about your teacher's contract in your school district? What do we know about how teachers are rated and how they get tenure? What do we know about what's going on in the classroom? I saw something kind of funny as I was working over the weekend. I had Fox on in the background. I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before. And one of their contributors came on with an idea, Mr. Producer, and his idea was teachers should have body cameras, or at least there should be cameras in the classroom. Now, haven't we talked about this for three weeks? We had a caller call with the brilliant idea, brilliant idea that teachers should have body cameras like cops and other people in walk of life. I said that might be tough. You know, they do have to go to the restroom now and then and so forth. How about just cameras in the classroom? I mean, all during the pandemic, we were told virtual education is important. It's good. The unions wanted it. No big deal. Well, why can't we still watch what the teachers are teaching our kids? Why can't we still watch what the teachers are teaching our kids? The unions will hate this. The media will hate this. It's one of the things we're going to push for, I'll tell you now. It's not even in the book. We, as we talked and so forth. It's just one of the things we're going to push for very, very hard. We don't know what's going on in the classroom. We don't know very much about teachers' union. Now, I used to be president of Landmark Legal Foundation. We know a lot. But we as a people know precious little. We know precious little about these teachers' contracts when they come up. You and I pay for them, but we have no role in them. We expect these school boards to do the right thing. They don't do the right thing. In terms of teachers and merit and rating, all up for negotiation. Well, you know what? We need to change the narrative. We need to change the narrative. Some people say culture comes before politics. Politics comes before culture. I say they're simultaneous. Aristotle would say they're simultaneous. We don't need to separate them. But we do need to fight on both levels. But we need to start playing offense, not just defense. Then I look at colleges and universities. All these issues will be raised in the book and are. We have no idea what's taking place other than general ideas on college and university campuses. Again, we pay an enormous amount in federal but particularly state subsidies to colleges and universities. How are the faculty chosen? How do they get tenure? How is their pay determined? What's taught in those classes? 
Shouldn't we have a say? Now we're paying for all of this, ladies and gentlemen. We're paying for all of this at the elementary school, middle school, high school, college level, and we have no say in anything. Because a hundred years ago, John Dewey wanted it that way, and John Dewey is the great icon of modern education, which is indoctrination, social activism, and all the rest of it. What do we know about what's going on in corporate boardrooms? Nothing. We don't know anything. But what's going on in the corporate board meetings? We don't know. Well, they do have meetings now and then during the course of a year where people show up and raise questions and pressure them. More on that in a week or two. How does the government make laws? The vast majority of laws are not made by Congress, ladies and gentlemen. They're made by a massive bureaucracy. A massive bureaucracy that's there regardless who wins and who loses political elections, whether it's president, whether it's the House, or whether it's the Senate. They are there. They are massive. And while the original thinking was we'd have these experts and these expert architects re-engineering society and overseeing how society should function, number one, they're not experts. How are they experts? Quite the contrary. Many of them are union members. They have civil service protection. Many of them are not experts. It's the best job they could find. That's number one. Number two, how is that constitutional? The constitutional was fundamentally altered by the United States Supreme Court under pressure from Franklin Roosevelt. Does that mean we have to put up with it for the rest of our time? How do you think Joe Biden's getting away with what he's getting away with? He stands on the shoulder, on the shoulders of Obama, who stands on the shoulders of LBJ, who stands on the shoulders of FDR, who stands on the shoulders of Woodrow Wilson, who in some way stands on the shoulders of Theodore Roosevelt. And they all stand on the shoulders of the early so-called progressive intellectuals, who are the bastard children of Marxism. All of this can be proven. All of it is proven. If you've looked at any of the prior books. But this book is the most activist book I've written since Liberty and Tyranny. It lays out the case of how they're developing mobs, how they're promoting the fundamentals of Marxism, how they're using race, how they're using ancestry, how they're using gender, how they're using climate, how they're using whatever they can, in any way they can, to Americanize Marxism. And they not only see fissures in this society, they make fissures in this society. We've been discussing now for an entire year critical race theory. Why? Because it's in our face. Our children are being indoctrinated. We've been discussing now, since AOC came into Congress, the Green New Deal. Why? Because she 
the Marxists in the media, the Marxists in our colleges and universities are pushing it. And they're pushing the agenda. The Democrat Party has become an ideological party. It's become an ideological party. Hardcore. The media have become an, ideolo- an ideological enterprise. Hardcore. Now, they're not going to want to be called Marxists. They'll want to talk about Joe McCarthy, the big red scare. Ladies and gentlemen, this has nothing to do with Joe McCarthy and the big red scare. This has everything to do with what comes out of their mouths, what they have written, and what they are doing. You can't keep using these bromides and think you're going to get away with it. As you know, something's changed. It's completely different. This isn't like the old crossfire where you had liberal and conservative debating each other. This is much more serious. We had horrific, violent, costly riots throughout the summer that were dismissed. What's the big deal? The Democrat Party couldn't criticize it. In fact, some elements of the Democrat Party, many, embraced it. Well, how does that work? What's that all about? And so we will get into this in some details. I say the first interview I will be doing is with Hannity, which will air at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday. Then Fox and Friends Sunday on Sunday. Logical. These are what's scheduled, unless they're canceled, I doubt it. Then Tuesday, Fox and Friends. Wednesday, on Martha's program. And there will be others including my own. But what's mostly crucial here is not media appearances by me. It's that we the people inform ourselves. That we the people understand who and what is doing this to our beloved country. And we need to address this culturally and politically and in every other way we can think of. I read something the other day. Conservatives have never fought the culture wars. I thought to myself, oh yes we did. And yes we have. Whether it's prayer in school, whether it's abortion and so forth and so on. Yes we have. But the Supreme Court nationalized the cultural issues and decided upon itself that nine lawyers dressed in black robes, often just five of them, will make all determinations when it comes to culture. We used to call these the social issues. And the fiscal issues. And the foreign policy issues. But they're all interrelated. As I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny, you can't just break them into nice, neat pieces. I guess people don't remember those battles during the Reagan administration. But they were serious and real battles. Culture battles. But we've lost those battles. And so we need to push back now. I look very much to working with you, talking to you, all of us jointly in this national town hall meeting here. In discussing this at great length, my hands have been tied behind my back to a considerable degree, but we'll do this. And when you do get your copy of the book, just take your time. One page at a time, one chapter at a time. I don't write stupid books for leftists, for rhinos, and the media. 
My audience is smart. You're smart. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. By the way, I want every patriot who has a book coming out to succeed, wildly succeed. I probably put more people on this program who have books than any other national host in the country. So when I write my books, I don't really pay attention to what other people are writing or what their subjects are. I am myopically focused. And what goes through my mind, people ask me all this time, is what goes through your mind, how do you do it? I look at the nation and I try and figure out what should I try to address. And you know, I think this every day when I get behind this microphone. And so that's the nature of this book. What's going on? Why are we declining? Uh, How do we claw our way back? And so I waited as long as possible to complete the book and turn it in about three months ago. And uh, the publisher has done everything humanly possible to get it out as fast as they possibly can. Would I have liked to come out a month ago? Of course, but it'll be out in one week. Just one week. I hope you'll all jump in with us. I hope there's millions and millions of us who start to engage in a big way. In a way that won't change your lives completely. You'll still have your jobs. You'll still do what you do. But just a little time. You'll see. I'll be right back. Ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while? that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. I'm going to try and put this in a nutshell I did the other day. Let me try it again. Louis Farrakhan is a racist. He's an anti-Semite. He hates white people. He hates America. He believes America is... A white supremacist, white-dominated country. Critical race theory is effectively an attempt to write scholarship around Louis Farrakhan's ideology. Let me repeat that. Critical race theory is effectively an attempt to write scholarship around Louis Farrakhan's Ideology, his racism, his bigotry, and so forth. Critical race theory is not about American history. It is a racist, anti-white, separatist, nationalist ideology. 
And by anti-white, I don't just mean pigmentation. Anti-white meaning people who are born of interracial marriage are questionable, except for Obama, of course. What else do I mean? I mean individuals, people of color, what have you, who do not buy into the Farrakhan mentality, they too are condemned. But critical race theory is actually much more dangerous because it's not only an attempt to build scholarship around Farrakhan's racism, it's an attempt to build scholarship around Marxism, the Americanization of Marxism. So in addition to building scholarship around Farrakhan's racism, it uses racism to build scholarship in support of Marxism. How many people who believe in or teach critical race theory support capitalism? None of them. They can't. Because they're Marxists. Because they're Marxists. So they cannot tolerate a colorblind society. People say Martin Luther King said, they don't care what Martin Luther King said about a colorblind society. The 64 and 65 Civil Rights Act. They don't care about those. Those are attempts to paper over what is this white dominant society. It cannot be fixed this way. It must be overturned. Hence, it is a violent, fringe, crackpot ideology which is now being spread throughout our culture Ian Rice is a black man he's a father he's married to a white woman now it wasn't that long ago when we celebrated interracial marriage as an advancement diverse communities as an advancement and so forth but not under critical race theory, because critical race theory is a separatist, nationalist, Farrakhanian, if you will, ideology. Hatched by communists. So here's Ian, Rass, uh, Ian Rice, a black dad. He has to go to this school board meeting and basically tell the school board to tell the teachers and the administration to leave his daughter alone. And we are paying for all of this. We are paying for all of it. Cut three, go. Hey, my name's Ian Rice. I've got two children here in the Caledonia School District. Um, it's very apparent here by all of the parents that have spoken that this board and the school district is failing. Um, more importantly, I came here to talk about critical race theory. This theory was never meant to be brought into grade schools, high schools, at all. It's actually taught in the collegiate atmosphere, and more importantly, the legal portion of the collegiate atmosphere, to see different laws through the lens of race, from an ethics and, 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 and an ethical standpoint, right? Not for grade schools and high schoolers. The problem with bringing it to high school and grade school level is that we don't have the educators to properly teach these kids. Instead, they're using it as their own agenda to indoctrinate the kids to hate each other. And whether you believe that to be true or not, the reality is that's what's happening. Critical race theory is teaching that white people are bad. That's not true. That would teach my daughter that her mother is evil. You already have an educator within your staff 
that has pulled my daughter aside and said, well, you're a minority, so you know better than to engage in certain things. Wow. Wow. When I was brought to the school's attention, nothing happened to the educator. Instead, my daughter was brought in, and she was ridiculed. So my question is now, with critical race theory being brought in, what is your criteria to educate the educators? And who are you to educate my children, or any of our children, in life issues? That's our job. Your job is to teach them math and science. Our job is to teach them about life. I believe racial issues and tensions across the U.S. are nowhere near what they used to be decades ago. Do we have a long way to go? Sure. Do we still have individuals out there that need to be taught? Absolutely. But I believe the people here don't look at me as a black man. They look at me as a man standing in front of you addressing the issue that we all are very passionate about. And you know what's interesting? Despite what the elitists say, whether they're on TV and radio or writing books about race or racist books, actually, whether they're playing basketball or they're broadcasters or whatever they are, the fact of the matter is, prior to this push, prior to this effort, Americans all did get along. But you see, the Louis Farrakhan critical race theory ideology rejects diversity. It rejects interracial marriage. It is a segregationist, separatist, nationalist movement. That's what it is. And the teachers' unions announced the other day that they're going to spread it throughout our schools. Who the hell do these bastards who run these unions think are paying the bills around here? They have it upside down. They work for us. We don't work for them. This has got to stop. Who do these administrators think they are with their lifelong jobs as assistant superintendents and principals and assistant principals? Who the hell do they think their employer is? It's us. These damn school boards have become appendages of the teachers' unions. The sanctified parents' teachers' associations or organizations, same damn thing. They're mouthpieces. For the thugs. And you and I are going to have to address this as best as we can. We can't keep writing blank checks all the time. And be told that people are underpaid. If they're destroying our children and our educational system. In that case, they're not only overpaid, they need to have their asses booted out of the classroom. We need to have a say in these teacher union contracts. We need to have a say in how teachers are chosen and rated. We need to see what's going on in our classrooms. And I'm saying it now, even though I was going to wait for a week or two. It's okay. Let them, let them repeat what I say. I don't care. No longer can universities and colleges just keep collecting our tax money, percentages of our income tax, state and federal, but mostly state. 
But we have no idea what's taking place when these faculty, you're going to learn this book, what the faculty are actually doing to our children, what they're actually teaching them, not just Marx, not just groupthink, not just to de-individualize, but they're teaching them to riot, to become a mob, in addition to hating their country. How are these faculty chosen? Why are they immune from any pressure, from any, from any ex exterior input? Why are, why are the teachers' unions so powerful? It's time for pushback. It's time for pushback. You see, the Democrat Party is in bed with all of these these movements. That is how it's decided to empower itself. In part, it's helped create these movements. 100 years ago, 120 years ago, when this ideology was exported to the United States and imposed on school after school after school. 120 years ago. There was sort of a wrestling match between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. Theodore Roosevelt was a so-called progressive. Read Rediscovering Americanism. He was, he idolized Dewey. He idolized Crowley. He idolized these early Marxists slash progressives. Woodrow Wilson, too, in a different way. Same thing. Franklin Roosevelt, too. So the Democrat Party has embraced the ideology and today has embraced it in a way that is extreme and aggressive and antithetical to our founding in every respect. Some in the Republican Party embraces aspects of this, Romney, among others, but he's not alone. We call them rhinos. They're very tolerant of the counter-revolution. And they're very hostile to those, you and I, who are trying and have tried in the past to stand up against it. Or oh, you must be a uh, right-winger, or a Tea Party hack, or whatever. They don't matter to us. None of these people matter to us. Now, there was an attempt in the Washington Post. I'll just show you how this works. And what has to be one of the dumbest, quote-unquote, news articles ever written, even for that lousy newspaper, by some guy named Jeremy Barr. Jeremy Barr looks like a 98-pound, pimple-faced pervert. That's what he looks like. I'm not saying he is. But he sits behind his keyboard. <laughs> I know what I'll do. <laughs> and he wrote a piece that was intended to attack me. But in many respects, I liked it. In many respects, I liked the piece. Now, the timing was a little strange, so it was planted. It was planted by a Manchurian host, I'm sure. But that's okay. I don't care. I'll address this more in the third hour. A dumber article and a hit job? That's a hit job? 
I kind of liked it. Didn't you, Mr. Producer? The headline was bizarre, but I kind of liked it. How dare I criticize a colleague? A colleague? Let me tell you something. The vast majority of people that I deal with in radio and TV are lovely, lovely people. And we become friends or acquaintances. Very kind, decent people. The vast majority. Why else would I be invited on these different shows? And why else would I have people on my show to promote their books from radio and TV? Hundreds and hundreds of friends and acquaintances at Fox, at Westwood One, in other broadcast companies and other things that I do. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. The guy finds two or three? And my criticisms were deserved. Were deserved. And they were public. In front of millions of people. So if somebody wants to respond, that's perfectly fine. Public. That's what you do. If you want to raise an issue. But you're going to see more of this. Not just him. You're going to see more efforts to position, to create narratives, to character assassinate. Because in their hearts, the vast majority of the media, they're Linskyites. Personalized, target, destroyed. They're Saul Linskyites. Like I say, this is their mentality now. It's not news. It's not, oh, isn't this interesting? Oh, this guy's a different point of view. No, it's destroy. It's okay. I'm uniquely positioned to fight back. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Good friend of mine writes, I thought the Washington Post piece was utterly incoherent. It was, but there were things about it I actually liked. Things about it that were stupid, and the timing tells you everything about who's involved in it. That's okay. That's the best they can do. It is. Because I'm up front. Because I don't, I don't play games. I'm proud of what I do here. I have nothing but respect for you and my audience. I have nothing to hide. They have a lot to hide. The people who leak have a lot to hide. I have nothing to hide. I tell you everything, pretty much. You know, one last thing on this. When I write these books, I say to myself, am I making a book too complicated? Am I making it too easy? Then I realize, wait a minute. Have you ever actually read Marx beyond the Communist Manifesto pamphlet? These are complicated books. Or these college textbooks that go on and on. So the, the, the left isn't afraid of reading and being indoctrinated and so forth. So this book is written for you. Page by page, chapter by chapter, that's the way to approach it. But first of all, you got to get it. American Marxism, I hope you'll pre-order your copy. More when I return. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. If you have a moment, I'd like you to focus in on what I'm going to mention here. There's a lot of hand-wringing about conservatives and libertarians and free-market conservatives and a lot of hand-wringing about how they don't represent the people, how they've never really represented the people. Of course, Ronald Reagan got two of the biggest massive landslides in electoral presidential history. I'm sure if he were alive today, he would disagree with that. But to me, this is the problem. This is the problem. Our battle today is not with libertarians, free market conservatives. Many of us are free market conservatives. Our battle today isn't with dismissing Milton Friedman and, and Bill Buckley and other tremendous minds as if somehow we'll be able to claw our way back. That's not the battle today. That's not the battle at all. Our enemies are not the libertarians. Our enemies are not fiscal conservatives. Our enemies are not free market conservatives. Our enemies are not social conservatives. Our enemies are this American Marxist movement and individuals that I'm talking about. And yet, this is what we hear constantly. Constantly, the great middle class, the great middle class is under attack, not by the libertarians, not by free market conservatives. It's under attack in our classrooms, in our universities and colleges, our economic system. While so many people are navel-gazing as if these are the old battles, this is a new battle. It's not the old battles. It is a new battle. This is exactly why I said American Marxism has made great progress toward institutionalizing its goals over the last several years. Not libertarianism, not market conservatives and so forth. If it is to be defeated as it must, albeit a daunting and complex mission, its existence must first be acknowledged and labeled for what it is. And the urgency of the moment must be realized. And the emergence of a unified patriotic front, a previously docile, divergent and disputatious societal, cultural, and political factions and forces which have in common their belief that America is worth defending must galvanize immediately and rally to the cause. In other words, people are not doing us any favors. Any favors by going on radio or TV or writing pieces going on and on. Well, you know, the damn libertarians. Well, you know, those damn free market conservatives, it's enough with Milton Friedman. Why? It gave massive electoral victories and decades of wealth. But putting that aside, we have a common enemy. We have a common enemy. And if we don't put aside these divergent views and disagreements of the past among conservatives and neoconservatives and free market conservatives and libertarians and sort of libertarians and so forth if we don't all rally together as we did around Reagan and take on this common enemy 
we will lose because there's not enough of us, just not enough of us otherwise. And so I will stand against those who are trying to earn their spurs and their cred on constantly browbeating conservatives and free market conservatives and libertarians and so forth. That's not the problem today. It's not even the issue today. The country is under attack from within. Our institutions, our culture, our constitution. They're not threatened by free market conservatives or libertarians. You have to be blinded by your own ideology if you believe that. We need their help. We need everybody's help in this battle, which is the point of American Marxism. We have to identify who they are. We have to identify what we're dealing with. We have to identify the threat, or threats in plural. And we need to amass an army of patriots to take them on in every walk of life. And I'm not talking about violence. I don't know why I have to always say that for the idiots in the media. I don't believe in violence. They do. They call violence riots, looting, arson, mostly peaceful. We don't. But you see, the insurrection has already occurred. It wasn't an armed insurrection, but the insurrection's already occurred in our government public schools, at our universities and colleges, in entertainment, on television, in our newsrooms, in the Democrat Party, in some of our courthouses, the insurrection's already occurred. Took time, but it's here and it's spreading. It's not January 6th. It's broader than that. It's more ubiquitous than that. It's more complicated than that. So I just mentioned this. To constantly tripe on and on and on. Like, oh, uh, the libertarians and the free market, this one's, and they, they don't recognize and support the middle class. And by the way, as a footnote, sure they do. The middle class, as Marx would call us, because we're not classes, but we play along, as the middle class wasn't created last week. It didn't come about last week. It came about through mostly... Free market capitalism. It's never been free-free, but free enough. What's interesting is the Marxists hate the Industrial Revolution. Again, as you'll see in the book, they hate the Industrial Revolution. They hate what was created through the Industrial Revolution. Furthermore, they constantly attack the Industrial Revolution. And so they created the myth of these massive robber barons who were abusing people left and right and so forth and so on. It wasn't a perfect world, ladies and gentlemen, but it resulted in massive consumerism, massive wealth creation, including the spreading of wealth over time. Everything wasn't the, uh, the, the steel mills and the coal mines, which had went through very, very difficult times, no question about it, but 
it created this, this incredibly powerful economic engine that resulted in any one of us walking into a supermarket today and basically being able to get whatever we want. The world has never seen anything like this before, and that's thanks to the Industrial Revolution. And what happened since the Industrial Revolution? And so the American Marxist movements, whether it's the Green New Deal no-growth no movement, whether it's critical race theory, whatever it is, they attack the economic system. Why? For among other reasons. What happened to the great proletariat that was going to rise up and overthrow the bourgeoisie? In other words, the masses that were going to rise up and overthrow the landowners, the landlords, the managers. What happened? Didn't happen. Why? Why didn't it happen? Because of the great industrial revolution. Electricity. Fresh water. Transportation. The availability of food and eventually clean, healthy food. The improvement of the lifestyle of the average person and on and on and on capitalism in the industrial revolution demonstrated that Marxism is a failure it's a utterly and completely defective ideology and so now tenured professors effectively tenured newsmen in others. They never let go of it. Now some of them weren't out of the closet Marxists of course, but class warfare, and all-powerful central government, the redistribution of wealth, and free this and free that and on and on and on. Where do you think these concepts come from? They didn't just come out of the sky. These concepts and these models were developed by people. And just because somebody is a parrot who repeats it on and on and on again, it isn't particularly bright, and I'm thinking of Chuck Todd, of course, doesn't mean he's not a mouthpiece for these movements. He is. Totally and completely. He is. I'll be right back. Mark in. You know, folks, uh, every now and then there's just people who are so inspiring on their own. Like the people who broke out, started singing at Texas Shoppers, the national anthem. It really does inspire. Here they are, too, in a Texas uh, shopping center. Cut one, go.
By the way, hat tip to Rumble. Rumble is a fantastic site. We use Rumble and Parlor. That's it. It's amazing. We have 200,000 pre-ordered books, and I'm not even on Twitter or Facebook. Now, people are asking me to come back to Twitter. Just think about that. Because it was Facebook I had a real battle with. But people are saying, Mark, you need to come back to Twitter. You need to come back to Twitter. Your comments are missed on Twitter. I will never go back to Facebook. But people are pressuring me to go back to Twitter, Mr. Producer. Are you on Twitter? Is Mr. Callscreen on Twitter? He is? You think I should go back on Twitter, too? People are telling me to give it consideration. I'll think about it. But certainly not Facebook, and at least for now, not Twitter, either. Chuck Todd, I had mentioned him, and you'll see what I mean. Chuck Todd is a fraud, a phony, and a buffoon. Other than that, I hear uh, he and Jeremy Barr are good buddies. Like all the left-wing kook media. But Chuck Todd is as incoherent as Jeremy Barr. uh, uh, And uh, as mature as Jeremy Barr. About a fifth grade level, I would say. But he doesn't even hide his partisanship and his stupidity anymore. Let's listen to this. His very tough question of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci's uh, conduct over the uh, past year and a half, Dr. Fauci and the grants that they gave, Dr. Fauci and the Wuhan lab and so forth. Very inquisitive. Cut 11, go. How are you holding up? It's been a tough year on you. You've been having two different bosses over the last year, um, two different sometimes a support network, sometimes not. How are you holding up? How are you holding up? So he brings a guy on here the head of the infectious disease operation for the entire federal government, who puts out diktats one after another after another, has so many contradictions over his past 18 months and even career. He's a lifelong bureaucrat, just as Todd is basically a lifelong bureaucrat. And he's sort of the Brian Stelter of uh, Meet the Press and the Sunday shows here. How you holding up? How, how you holding up, Tony? I know, you're under attack now by the right-wing rubes. How, how you holding up, Tony? How, how's it going? And what does Tony have to say? Go. You know, I'm, it, it certainly has not been, not been easy, Chuck. I'm doing fine. I focus on my job, you know, as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Actually, I thought you were the press person for the organization, given how often you're on TV. If you're in charge of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and there's more than the the coronavirus out there, folks, how in the hell do you have time for all this TV and media? You really shouldn't, should you? Who's running that operation? It's like Biden over at the White House. Who, Who are the real actors and the real factors over there at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases? It can't be this guy. He's got way too much time on his hands. Go ahead. It was my responsibility to make sure that we did the science that got us to the vaccines. No, you didn't do the science that got us to the vaccine. See, this is part of the problem. This is why people have learned to really distrust you and your, and your narcissism. He did the science that got us to the vaccines. Wasn't Fauci putting out a book? I thought he was about how heroic Fauci is and was. And didn't they pull it? I think it was 60 pages long. Man, oh, Manischewitz. Go ahead. 
that, as we know now, have already saved millions and millions of so lives. So Fauci, you see, saved millions and millions of lives. It was Fauci. It wasn't the team that Trump put together in spite of Fauci. And I happen to know a lot about those inside meetings. Fauci was the Mr. No Man, the Mr. Doubter from day one. No, it wasn't you, Tony, who did this. It wasn't you. Trump had to create an entire assembly of experts to get around you and the FDA and the bureaucrats. The massive amount of red tape and the massive amount of money you guys piss away. No, no, Tony, we want to know how this virus came to be. And apparently your operation funded that lab. And some of that money went to finding out, gee, how can we create a truly lethal virus that would kill millions and millions of people? You know, we have to be prepared for that one day so we know how to stop it. That's insanity. But Chuck Todd, being a reprobate, doesn't ask him a single thing about that. Hey, hey, hey Tony, how you feeling today? How you feeling? You know, me and the missus. I mean, the, uh, you know, the missus. She and I, uh, we, we wanted to have you over for dinner, Shabbat maybe, you know, we wanted to have you over, but we couldn't have you over because, you know, can't be seen together. But how, how you holding up? How you, how you holding up now? Go ahead. So with regard to what we had to do, do the basic science, do the clinical Ah, science. shut up. I can't help it anymore. I'm so sick of this guy, it's not even funny. He's become a colder personality for the left. That's what he's become. They have no, uh, no curiosity. They never did. They didn't want to know where the virus came, came from China. Oh, you can't say that. Why? It came from China. Oh, you can't say that. I'll be right back. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now. 877-381-3811. Well, Afghanistan's being taken over by the Taliban, which is a terrorist organization that helped uh, cause 9-11. And uh, Iran, the Islamo-Nazi regime there, is now moving forward, as it reports today, but it's not really that much of a surprise into the development of, uh, of nuclear material. And Biden has sold out to both. But we get questions. Hey, da, hey, uh, Tony Fauci, uh, Tony, how, how you holding up with all these? How, how you holding up? That's that's a guy who falls into the position, the incredibly important position as host of Meet the Press. These are his journalistic standards. Not focused on the mass murder in the streets and the failure of Democrat mayors to to do anything effective or substantive about it no not the the Taliban now taking over Afghanistan not the Iranians now actually making nuclear material refining it which is the step before they have the uh, the actual bomb no 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 hey yeah uh, Tony how you holding up there Tony hey 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 how, how you holding up there sick Remember this hammer thrower? Oh, yeah. Remember her? Berry, I believe was her name. Gwen Berry. She won the bronze. And, of course, she got all the headlines because she hates her country. 
because she, she was involved in an antic which she knew would draw the attention of the media and everybody else. Well, over at PJ Media, Rick Moran, writing the other day, he says, Olympic athlete who disrespected the flag turns out to be a flaming racist. No real surprise there. Let's see. Gwen Berry, the Olympic hammer thrower who turned her back to the flag during the playing of the national anthem, calling it disrespectful to black Americans, is a history-making racist tweets and making light of rape. You know, Mr. Producer, I didn't see Jeremy Barr write about this. He's the media guy for the, for the Washington Compost. Quote, this little white boy being bad as he, as hell, unquote, I would smack his ass, then stomp him. SMH, white people's kids, hell of a respectful, she said in 2011. I can barely understand that. You, however you translate it, Moran points out, it's racist. It also threatens violence against white people, which is a hate crime. Quote, just saw this girl, G-U-R-L, wearing heels with white socks. What the hell? Hashtag Chinese people always try to start new trends. SMH girl. She said that in 2011. Don't forget the Mexicans, Gwen, right? Quote, Mexicans just don't care about people, unquote, she said in November 2012. And she was heralded as another growing iconic figure in the culture. All over the media, all over the sports media. Oh goodness she's fabulous from the new york post barry also made light of rape in a tweet from october 2012 i'm about to rape my lunch she tweeted shout out to all the females that are going to get drunk get wrecked by four dudes then cry rape this weekend she added in another from the same year gotta love that english too the tweets would have been posted long before barry's olympic career when she was in her early 20s Barry's moved to delete at least some of the postings after they were first unearthed. That reminds me of how Joy Reid were deleting her bigoted anti-homosexual uh, postings. Now she's a civil rights leader. But Gwen wants everyone to know she doesn't really hate America. Quote, I never said that I didn't want to go to the Olympic Games, she said in an interview on the Black News Channel. I never said that I hated the country. All I said was I respect my people enough to not stand or acknowledge something that disrespects them. I love my people point blank, period. Your people are Americans, you idiot. But apparently you don't like Mexicans. Apparently you don't like uh, Chinese, Asians. And apparently you don't like females. But other than that, you're, you're, you're Mahatma Gandhi. They had enough opportunities to play the national anthem before we got up there, Barry said, according to the New York Post. No, you don't, you're not in charge of that, you damn fool. Go back to tweeting your hate. I was thinking about what I should do. Eventually, I stayed there and I swayed. I put my shirt over my head. I was real disrespectful. They said they were going to play it before we walked out. Then they played it when we were out there. But I don't really want to talk about the anthem because that's not important. The anthem doesn't speak for me. It never has. If there's been an instant in the history of international or national athletics of playing the national anthem before the athletes walked into the venue to the podium, Moran writes, I've never heard of it. She's pretending injury where there is none. 
But she wants everyone to know what a race hero she is. Quote, my purpose and mission is bigger than sports. I'm here to represent those who died due to systemic racism. That's the important part. That's why I'm going. That's why I'm here today. Really? You're throwing a hammer. No, no disrespect. You're throwing a hammer. The U.S. Olympic Committee announced months ago there would be no penalty for political protest by athletes, but there will be. You know what that's going to be? You and I are going to tune them out. We'll stop watching them. They'll turn into the Oscars and the Golden Globes where nobody gives a crap what these people have to say. Nobody. So there she is, Gwen Berry. Racist, as best as I can tell. But that's okay. That's okay. She's an iconic figure now. And uh, she'll go on to the Olympics, no doubt about it, I'm sure. We'll be right back. Does anybody know of a single major elected Democrat who's ever criticized Black Lives Matter? No? Does anybody know of a single major elected Democrat, whether it's Biden, Harris, Schumer, Pelosi, et al., who've criticized critical race theory? No. So you can't tell me that they don't embrace big chunks of this stuff. They certainly do, and so does the Democrat Party. At the local, state, and federal level. Let us go to Amy, Merritt Island, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Amy, how are you tonight? Hi, Mark Levin, the great one. How are you? Okay, thank you. Good. I'm so grateful that you took my call. First of all, I want to tell you that I have your book on pre-order. Thank you. And I can't wait for it to come in. Me neither. And my brother, <laughs> my brother as well, he wanted to borrow the book when I'm done, so he went out and got his own book. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. And... I am so happy to tell you that my brother was a school teacher, and just after school let out for the summer, he retired. And he said that um, he wasn't even going to teach critical race theory, and he just got out in the nick of time. Oh, you mean they were going to force him to uh, incorporate that into his classroom? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he took the time that he was that age, and he just took a retirement, and he is happy as can be. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, um, they're doing to the. Te- Let's be clear: these people are doing to the teaching profession what they did to police officers. They're destroying it. They're absolutely destroying it, and it's ba- basically the same mindset, the same movement. So they destroy our uh, law enforcement in so many ways. Now, they're destroying the teaching profession. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to stand up to this. And uh, I don't blame your brother. Yeah, I'm afraid that they're going to start with the churches as well. Mm-hmm. You're right, depending on what kind of church or synagogue it is. As a matter of fact, they had this clown, Kendi, who is, you read his stuff, it is so sophomoric. It's, it's just so pathetic. 
and so filled with hate and so forth. And he pretends, no, no, you don't understand. Oh, I understand. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League in parts of Florida actually had him speak to a number of their people. I'm like, are you out of your minds? And they are, of course, since an Obama hack is now in charge of the Anti-Defamation League. I want to thank you, Amy, and my best to your brother as well. God bless you, my friend. Let's keep going. Melly, Laurel, Maryland, XM Satellite. How are you, Marie? I'm well this evening, Mark. Happy belated Independence Day to you and your listeners. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. So, yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of what Amy in Florida was just talking about because I was... Um, just curious going see what was happening here in the state of Maryland if they were teaching critical race theory. So I did a search and I came up on the Maryland State Education Association website and guess what came up? Something a book called Stamped. So there's a teaching going on in Frederick County, specifically a teacher, an English teacher in one of the uh, schools there that's talking they they were giving grants for Black Lives Matter. And um, they're talking about all the racial injustice and systemic racism. And they want to be able to empower young activists. So mm -hmm. lo and behold, one of their young activists, she's a senior there, young lady. They have a club that they want to have some goals of uh, doing visually representing diversity and inclusion, advocate for more teachers of color, represent students of color, and to educate a non-minority students. And lastly, reform the history curriculum in Frederick County Public Schools. Mm. And I'm just wondering if any of the other uh, I wonder if the governor is awake. Is your governor awake? Oh. He doesn't seem to say anything about any of this, does he? Nope. Nope, not at all. You don't hear about any of this. And I just happened to stumble across this, Mark, this evening just by doing a quick Well, this is the difference between a Hogan and a DeSantis. And uh, Hogan's looking out for himself and his own career, uh, such as it is at this point. Uh, DeSantis is representing the will of the people. And let me tell you something else. This critical race theory and this transgenderism uh, teaching and this hate America, hate uh, uh, economics, our economic system stuff, it is so destructive of minorities as well. In other words, this, is, again, is a Marxist movement which is destructive of everybody in its wake. It doesn't matter what your color is. So rather than teaching young children that you're free, that you have opportunity, that you can look for mentors and, <clears throat> and uh, here's what we can do and this is how you do it and teaching uh, people how to, how to maybe make a living or something. No. It's to teach hate, hate based on race, war against the existing society, and so people wind up getting nowhere, absolutely nowhere, and at the same time, drag down the country. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call very, very much. Let's see here. Um, I want to see. Oh, here we go. Shay, I think it's Shay from Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. How are you? Yes, hi, Mr. Levin. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet. I am a great, great fan of yours, and everything you say is absolutely brilliant. God bless you. Oh, I am you. calling in regard to the comments you said earlier about Anthony Fauci, mm -hmm. and it's been bothering me tremendously for a very long time. 
how he was propped up as literally God. And, you know, it's been brought to my attention by several pediatricians in my area that that guy has actually never had any hands-on experience. He's never really dealt with any patients. And how he is the one, he's the czar giving us, you know, back and forth different information how to how we should be treating our children. I thought that was just a very interesting point to to realize and understand. Well, while he he will not debate the vi- virologist, and we've said this on this show that he never appears with any of these experts, and we've invited him on the show with experts, and he won't come on the show with any other experts. And experts have been on the show and said he won't come on shows with them to discuss any of. Them. He will not lower himself to be questioned. So you go on a show like Chuck Todd, who pats him on the head and says, Hey, hey how you doing? How you holding up there? How you holding up? All right, my friend. I'll be right back, folks. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Mr. Producer, I've changed my mind. Let's get the cut 15. Jen Psaki at a White House briefing today with the class warfare talk. Cut 15, go. We have a story, so a company of organizations like the Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Manufacturers, the National Retail Federation are gearing up for a big lobbying campaign to, uh, you know, lobby against the tax increases that you are proposing. Um, and what they say is that increasing taxes doesn't create jobs. I mean, what do you say to that? And, you know, are you, what are you doing to counter this pretty, uh, you know, intense push by these So, first of all, this is a reporter urging the administration to fight off these various associations that represent small businesses. What are you going to do to stop them? What are you going to do? Now here's Pasaki's response. Go. Well, first I would say that um, the American people are aligned with the president's view that corporations and uh, the, the wealthiest Americans can afford to pay a little bit more in order to uh, pay for critical investments in our nation's infrastructure, but also in uh, initiatives and programs that will help uh, make our country more competitive and bring more women back into the workforce. Now this is amazing. They're not going to do any of those things. Ladies and gentlemen, they're causing inflation. It's beginning to go through the roof. You can see it when you fill up your car. You can see it at the grocery store. Those of you who are trying to purchase a home, you can see what's going on now. And it's just starting. They've already spent trillions of dollars. But you see, the wealthiest Americans and corporations can afford to pay a little bit more. The wealthiest Americans. You see, this is the problem with the Marxism class warfare stuff. What if you have a fabulously successful business? And one of the reasons it's so successful is that it's creating a magnificent product. People can't get enough of it. 
And so they're, they're hiring people to work for them. They're paying them good salaries. They're paying their medical care. They're putting money, giving them money and contributing to their pension fund. And these people have families too and so forth and so on. But we're going to raise their taxes just a little. And by the way, they want to raise them massively. And the company says, you know what, we just can't hire as many people. That's problem number one. Number two, you know what, we can't afford to have the workforce we have plus pay these taxes. That's number two possibility. Number three, we're out of here. We're moving outside the country to another place. That's possibility number three. You're not going to get the creation and growth of businesses that you would otherwise have when you're raising taxes on them and then demeaning them. You're not going to create jobs with massive increase in inflation. Just put yourself in the position of these people because Biden, Harris, Schumer, Pelosi, and Pasaki, all five of them, have exactly zero experience in the private sector hiring anybody. Zero. None. All government, all the time, are all government entities all the time. Put yourself in the shoes of a little business. Maybe you have 50 employees, maybe 100 employees. You're competing with the federal government to hire people because the federal government's paying people more not to work in many states, in most states, than you can afford to pay them. So you're competing with the federal government. Meanwhile, you're paying taxes to the same federal government that's competing against you. That's number one. Number two, you just came out of this pandemic, particularly in the blue states, and you're starting to get your feet on the ground. You've got a lot of bills to pay. You've got a lot of debt to pay. You didn't just walk in and everything's uh, hunky-dory. You've got to work your way back. Now we're going to tax you. Just a little. You can afford it. Number three, how are we going to compete when we keep treating capitalism as the enemy and entrepreneurs and small business people as the enemy. We're not talking about ExxonMobil here, folks. We're not talking about ExxonMobil. Most small businesses are held under the tax code as individual businesses where people pay individual income taxes. And so... It's a big expense. Well, you say, well, we're, if, you, if you earn under 400000 we're not going to tax you. Of course they are in many ways, but that's for another night. So you're going to be whacked. So rather than take that money and maybe expand your business, add another wing to a hotel, put a bar in your restaurant... You have a limo business, get another limo, get another drive. Whatever it is, there's, there's, there's so many different businesses and so many different decisions. Your money's going to go to the federal government. And it's going to go to people who haven't earned it, many of whom don't deserve it. Many of whom do not deserve it. You know, everybody who's on the public dole doesn't deserve to get money. Some people work harder than others. Some people go to school and study harder than others. Some people have better ideas. That's why this whole notion of equity is so absurd.
Equity in what? How's that supposed to work? Go ahead, Mr. Producer. That's what the president is proposing. I would also note that uh, we've seen, in terms of public reports, that uh, of the the wealthiest companies out there, a number of them didn't pay any taxes at all. Here's, here's what gets me about this, and it may not be popular with many of you. Joe Biden's been around half a century. He was vice president for eight years, Obama for eight years. Why didn't they fix this? But putting that aside, I don't look at things this way. Oh, wow, that company didn't pay any taxes? How many employees does it have and how much did they pay in taxes? Isn't that important? And by the way, I'm no special pleader for these corporatists. I despise the vast majority of them. But I'm asking you a question. Shouldn't we look at, okay, how many employees do they have and how much have they paid in federal income taxes, state income taxes, state property taxes, God knows what other taxes, because without that business, they wouldn't have those jobs and those taxes wouldn't be paid, would they? I mean, how much tax does the federal government pay? None. Mark, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. But it has a lot of employees who pay taxes, right? Go ahead. And that certainly is not something that is viable, nor does the president think that is fair, and that uh, sends a clear message that our taxes... What's not viable? What's not fair? Now, here, this is what I mean about American Marxism. This is all talk about class warfare. We've got to get the bourgeoisie, we the proletariat. And the funny thing is, most of those saying we have to get the bourgeoisie are in and of the bourgeoisie. We've got to get them. We gotta get them. Joe Biden earned more in two or three years than many of the people he says are wealthy and need to be whacked with taxes while he set up 2S corporations to get around paying Medicare and Obama taxes. Think about that. When nobody's looking, this is how these people conduct themselves. Go ahead. Not set up in a fair and equitable way, and that's something he feels we should address regardless. Uh, so that's his view and his proposal. We'll have to see how successful these lobbyists are at moving the uh, public Lobbyists. You see, if you support liberty, less taxes, less regulate, you're a lobbyist. Meanwhile, if you want more government, more regulations, more centralization, you're not a lobbyist. You're a righteous person who's for the people. How much of this money will go to the southern border to ameliorate what Obama, excuse me, what Biden has unleashed there? Nothing. How much of this money will go to the inner cities to try and bring down crime? Almost none. How much of this money will go to truly improve our schools? No, it'll go in and out of the pockets of the union bosses and their favorite members. They always talk about equality and and equity. Equity? Let me ask you this question. How many poor people are in the cabinet? None. They're all quite rich. How many poor people were chosen by Biden to serve in major positions. None, not one. So much for equity. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So this uh, Washington Post guy, Jeremy Barr, is given a heads up by our friends at Fox. He writes this piece, and it's put out the morning of July 4th. Now, Mr. Producer, 
if you're going to put out a really incredible piece, do you put it out the morning of July 4th? When almost nobody's reading the Washington Compost? If you don't get it, you don't get it? And so basically, they try and draw a picture of me as independent. As somebody who can't be silenced. And this so-called reporter, Jeremy Barr, who covers the media, he decided that this was a very important topic after a controversy that I apparently created last week by stating what I thought was the obvious in a very kind way. Nonetheless, Jeremy was shocked that on the air that I would actually speak out loud, not behind backs, about some of the reporting that that troubled me. Very little. Two examples involving Chris Wallace, one example involving uh, Ed Henry. The Ed Henry example was truly bizarre because it was on air where Ed, Ed Henry framed a question in September 2019 that I thought was absolutely wrong, and I challenged him right there. Apparently that is simply unacceptable. By the way, in a very polite way, because he and I got along okay. Then there was another report by another reporter, you know, saying that, yes, in fact, I can independently verify that what Donald Trump did, in fact, uh, criticize soldiers and based in part on two anonymous sources. And I said, well, it's based on anonymous sources. That's meaningless to me. Wow. So four cases of criticism. And the one last week, which was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then criticisms when the Lee Harvey Oswald thing came up and the suggestion was made by then-candidate Trump that Ted Cruz's father was involved. And I, I lit into Fox for allowing such nonsense to be aired. And what he didn't point out is Fox hired me subsequent to that. I didn't go to Fox looking for a job. Fox came to me and asked me if I wanted to do this sun- a Sunday show or a Saturday show or any show, and I described to them what I wanted to do. I have a great relationship with the top brass at Fox. I don't know uh, the Murdoch family. I did meet Mr. Murdoch. He couldn't have been nicer. And by the way, really smart. Um... Really sharp. Suzanne Scott, absolutely brilliant, very decent, very kind, really knows what she's doing. I go up and down the ladder. And as one of the senior people said there, I don't cause them any problems. Of course I don't. I do my job. Whether it's with Westwood One and Cumulus here behind the microphone, whether it's with Blaze TV and the Live In TV show, whether it's uh, on Fox, whether it's with uh, Simon & Schuster and the book that I have coming out Next week, I do my work. I do my job because what I care about is you, the audience. But I'm not going to be muffled because some clown at the Washington Post named Jeremy Barr used to write for the Hollywood Reporter writes very stupid, incoherent, bizarre pieces like this. Now, based on the input 
that I heard from many of you, you actually like the story because he paints me as this independent person who's not going to be silent. So he gets that right. But here's the thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Nobody's trying to silence me. Nobody's trying to silence me. Now, at one point, maybe there was a little bit of this when I was campaigning for a friend of mine who was running for office. I think that's the only time. Maybe there's one other one with a different company that, but unrelated to Fox. So there's no problem whatsoever. And, of course, Jeremy, Jeremy, why is every jackass named Jeremy, Mr. Producer? Except the ones who are good and listen to this show. But, Jeremy, you didn't list all the people I get along with and who are my friends in the places where I work. How come you didn't do that, Jeremy? So it's a really bizarre story. It's like an effort to get even with me because maybe I said something that they didn't like about somebody. I don't know. But I suspect the editor said, what the hell is this? Hey, please, I really want you to work. I, I mean, I, I worked so hard on this story. I, I really did. I, I went on the Internet, and I, I went on social media. That's where he gets it all from. It's social media. I got on social media, and, and you know, four years ago, four years ago he said this, and, and, and six months ago he said this, and, 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 and I really very much, I, 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 very much, I've been working on this piece. Please let me run a piece. All right, all right. July 4th in the morning. Well, but nobody's going to read it. We know. You're embarrassing us. You're a little twerp. But, 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 no, that's it. That's it. We know. We know how important this is to you, but it's not important to us. So it's hilarious. They have this guy, Brian Rosenwald, who's an expert on talk radio, they say. Because he wrote a book, Mr. Bruce. The man's never spoken to me in my life. Not in my life. But he knows all about me. He knows me inside out. About me, he says, he was always the anti-establishment guy, a media historian, an expert on political talk radio. This is Brian Rosenwald. That's his brand. That this is serious stuff. The nation's imperiled. I'll call out anyone, Democrat or Republican, that I need to call out. And beat them over the head. I thought, this guy doesn't even moan me. But he got that pretty close, didn't he, Mr. Producer? I said, wow. Who the hell is Brian Rosenwald? But he's about 80% there. Then he goes, and then as if, as if he's mocking himself, he gets an anonymous source. Yes, yeah, so, you know, this is a little bit troubling. We don't normally conduct ourselves this way. I don't conduct myself this way either. But if something is so obvious, why should I ignore it? It's called free speech. And by the way, Jeremy et al., watch us on Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the highest-rated primetime evening show on Sunday on News Cable. You'll enjoy it. I'll be right back. In a world of pathetic liberal potholes, he's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. All right. Let's see here. Let us go to Randy Scranton, Pennsylvania, the great WTRW. Go. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. 
Yes, sir. I have an idea. I have an idea, and it's totally out, out of the box. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and by the way, I love this. Go affirmative, ahead. affirmative action. Now, suppose we do a proposal um, where you extend affirmative action to include teachers uh, of non-union that are non-union, you, where you need to have an equal to uh, amount of teachers that are non-union as opposed to union teachers. All right, well, um, <clears throat> theoretically that's very interesting, but there's a few problems with this, including in my state and your state of Pennsylvania, my home state. They have state laws there, and many states have this, where you're required to be a member of the union in order to teach. So that wouldn't work. That's why Joe Biden said he wanted to eliminate right-to-work in all these states. Because in right-to-work states, you don't necessarily have to be a member of the union to work, at least in the private sector. Now, what happens is these school boards... See, the problem is school boards are weak. When they get Republicans on there, they're very, very weak. They're really Democrats. And when you get Democrats on there, they're very, very aggressive. And they sign these contracts that are disasters. I know, I was on a school board. I watched it and I fought it when I was a very, very young man. And they give them all these benefits and give them all these rights. And I think when communities become aware of what's in these contracts and how these contracts are negotiated and how these unions hold a gun to the head of the community and the taxpayers, I think people are going to be absolutely outraged. I don't think people understand the full extent of the power these unions have over what goes on in their communities. More than any other union. I mean, the police and firefighters don't have a union like this. And this union today, the NEA, which is the worst of the two because it's the biggest, but they're both lousy, awful. You know, they're dictating now that critical race theory, ageism, anti-capitalism and the like are going to be taught in every classroom. Who the hell are these people? They're our employees. They're our employees. So I have a real big problem with public sector unions, except for cops and firefighters and the like, because they're constantly under attack. But not so in the classroom. So while I like your idea, it's not going to take off in most places. Uh, But I I would like to see an effort in right-to-work states where teachers refuse to be part of the union and see a growing effort in that regard. But keep something in mind. We're talking about people who earn, you know, they're not millionaires and they're not billionaires and they need to earn a salary too and they don't want to get into all these battles and so forth. But it's time to stir the pot. It's time to shake things up. And I like the fact that you're thinking about something, thinking about an idea. And this is one of the things we're going to do. We're going to think about a lot of ideas. and We're going to get around a lot. When we had that caller three weeks ago call here and say, I think teachers should have body cameras, I thought, that is genius. But I would just adjust it. There ought to be cameras in the classroom. That is a brilliant idea. It's a simple idea, and it's an idea worth fighting for. And there'll be others, as you'll see, many others. Thank you for your call, my friend. I appreciate it, Randy. Let us continue. Brandon Harrison... K-A-R-N, Arkansas. What is it? How about another, Brandon? Columbia, South Carolina, the great WVOC country. How are you? Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for what you do. 
I have something to add to this conversation about teachers. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to do what these liberals have done over the last 40 or 50 years, and we have to infiltrate the education system. And one of the ways we do that is we need to recruit our veterans to get into the classroom and to teach our kids. I like that. This is a way that we can start to infiltrate this system. We can't expect it to happen overnight. They didn't expect it to happen overnight. Well, the first thing we need to figure out in each school district, because they're not all the same, is how do they hire teachers? What's it based on? Figure it out, and then figure out how to overwhelm that system with people who we like. South Carolina, what I see, and I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I did that. Now, I'm a coach, but I also teach a class in the school, mm-hmm. and I'm an Air Force veteran. And all you need is a college degree and a teaching certificate. This is in South Carolina. This is probably the case for most most of the states and most school systems. I think this is easy. We have to start. No, it's with- not easy. It's not easy. In fact, one of the things we've got to figure out is, and every school district's different, and that is how it is that these these teachers get uh, get hired. And uh, something tells me this is very much a closed shop. And so I don't want people to think this is easy because it's not. Uh, and so we want to look at that. We want to look at college. Uh, we'll talk more about this in a week or two. We want to look at colleges. You know, we want to look at the whole thing. But I want to thank you for your call, too, my friend. I appreciate it. Easy it's not, but doesn't mean it can't be overcome. Because I think the unions have a lot of say on who's hired. They have a lot of say on who's hired. And this is how you go on offense. We'll talk more about it in a week or two. Let's give it a little, little bit. We're almost there. Let us go to Jim. Newport, California, 87 of the answer. Jim, how are you, sir? I'm well, sir. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you taking my call. Uh, I want to make a comment, if you would allow me. I, I, just 15 seconds on that hammer thrower, and then I want to get to what I'm doing with your books, how many I ordered. Will you allow me to make that 15-second commentary, please? Yeah, you know, just keep it clean. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, no, it is. It, it, you know, where she said the third stanza of the... Uh, Star-Spangled Banner is, you know, racist and, and it's slavery and all this. Anybody and by the way, it has that, nothing to do with slavery. I know that. That's what I'm saying. It has to do with the British tyrannical rule over the, you know, the colonies over here. And That's correct. And get out from under, it, you know. It, had nothing meant- to do with slavery, had nothing to do with race. Uh, she's a buffoon, and you can see the racist tweets that she's had in the past that she's quickly trying to delete. It's unconscionable. Yeah, it's that. Anyway. Uh, I ordered. No, but you're quite right. Yeah, and I just wish they would say that on TV or something. You know, good but luck. people know it's not okay. Yeah, good luck. Anyway, I pre-ordered 25 copies of your book. Whoa, you must be a very wealthy man. No, not wealthy, not, but but I believe so much, Mark, in what you're doing and how important it is. So I'll never stop. Anyway, I'm going to hand them out to Democrats and Republicans, the friends of mine, but also. Uh, there is a uh, public auditorium that you can rent. So I decided that on Mondays and Thursdays, I'm going to be reading a chapter out of your book. 
to people there in attendance. It holds about 200, 225 people. Wow, you're, you're unbelievable. Anyway, so I made this poster. It's a very good picture of you and did this, you know, <laughs> the whole thing about uh, American uh, uh, Marxism. And I put it up today at 1030. By noontime, there were already 87 people that had signed up for it. So, you know. Where, where did you put the poster? In front of your house? No, 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 no. It, it's in the going to say you get rocks through the window. Yeah, exactly. And there was 87 people that uh, had already signed up. So I don't think I'm going to have any problem filling up the 200, 225. But I think, you know, and when I get done with your book, I'm going to start all over again. And then if, depending upon demand, and I'll use a microphone so people will be able to hear me. Depending on demand, if I, I might have to rent a bigger place, but I think that I can do my small part in getting your wonderful message and much-needed message out to the public. And, you know, that's what I'm doing to help you and to help Americans. Well, let me say to you, Jim, how honored I am to have you in the audience. You're obviously a, a great patriot. The goal here is to spread the word, like Thomas Paine, like Paul Revere, and uh, ideas do have consequences. People will rally around ideas. And even though this is extremely difficult, because we're not fighting a foreign enemy here, we're fighting domestic enemies and various movements and and in uh, various uh, walks of life. That is, uh, whether it's climate or race or whatever it is, we have to do this. We have no choice. And you are an inspiration, absolute inspiration, Jim. I want to thank you, and God bless you. We'll be right back. One of the things we will be doing here is we will be opening up what is the second biggest radio station in the country, over 400 affiliates, satellite radio, streaming, apps, and a variety of other formats that we have here uh, to you for some ideas that you have or some ideas that you're implementing so the whole country can hear them. We have this national platform. Uh, It's never been used the way that I use it, and it's never been used the way that we are going to use it when the book comes out. So it'll help if you have a copy. If you don't, that doesn't prevent you from participating. I want everybody to participate, as many people as possible. But I think having read the book and going through it, you're going to have a lot of great ideas that will come to you, and you can jot them down, and we can discuss them and go over them. And ideas do have consequences. That's the old line, and it's true. And I have many in the book. But I don't pretend to have all of them. As I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny, a conservative manifesto at the end, I had well over 30 ideas and suggestions, and that is certainly the case in this book, but that can help also motivate and instigate and trigger ooh, trigger uh, other ideas, too, and some of you uh, who are involved in them as well. Now, I've been an activist since I've been a teenager, so I have a lot of ideas, but many of you do as well. So we're going to share them, see if they can they can work their way into various communities and so forth. So I want you to keep your chins up. I want you to get ready. 
Um, some days I feel like the weight of the world's on my shoulders, but other days I feel very excited. All days, really, I feel very excited. But we will we'll do everything we can. That's the goal here. So we're only seven days away, really less than that. I'm all geared up, ready to roll. I hope you are too. Uh, this isn't something that can happen overnight. doesn't need to happen overnight. But it is something that needs to happen nonetheless. The silent majority will be silent no longer. And our goal is to have all the other media platforms that believe in this country, whether they be patriotic, conservative and patriotic, whatever they are, Yes, let them join us. Yes, let them mimic us. It's okay. It's okay. Because the goal here is to galvanize as many people as we can. Rally as many people as we can. That's why I'm saying put aside the little differences about this or that. We're talking about clawing our way back. These classrooms, these corporate boardrooms, and on and on and on. They are creating hostile working environments, aren't they? They are promoting a racist ideology. They have different reasons for it, but in the end it all comes from the same place. And we'll talk about that too. Big media, big tech, these other corporations, tactics and strategies. And I hope it's going to be a very fulsome learning experience for you and me but again when you get the book say oh my goodness take your time one page at a time I think it's really going to draw you in one chapter at a time if you have one of those yellow markers and you like to use those make sure you have one with you or if you have those little yellow stickies you want to put on a page you can do that too some of you may be focused in one particular area versus another such as uh, defending capitalism and that sort of thing, or defending uh, the classroom or that sort of thing. My goal here is for us all to defend all of it and to oppose all of what they're doing, because they've broken it down into so many different movements that they've spawned. And, of course, this is uh, part of the tactics. So the last chapter is called We Choose Liberty. It could have easily been called Pushback. But it doesn't matter what it's called. It matters what's in it. And we're in this together. That's the point. Seven short days away. And we're going to do other things on the radio program too, of course. Because there's a lot going on and a lot that needs to be discussed. Um, But in my case, when I write something like this, as you well know from the other nine books, um, it's about what we do here. It relates to our mission. Right, Jeremy Barr? (laughs) Guy humiliates himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. God bless each and every one of you. Army of wonderful patriots. We're deeply blessed. I'll see you tomorrow.